The following is a chapter reading of the Worm Audiobook Project. Please support the original author at parahumans.wordpress.com or by donating to his Patreon at patreon.com wildbow. Arc 27. Extinction. 27.4 The last portal closed. The birdcage had been emptied of everyone that could reasonably be let free, and probably a handful that shouldn't. We'd deal with that later. No faces present that shouldn't be? Chevalier asked. Ingenue was standing beside him. Every person on the list has a corresponding face in the crowd, Defiant said, going by the facial recognition program. Chevalier nodded. With respect, I'd like to ask everyone who isn't participating in the upcoming confrontation to please leave. The others, your enemies, your teammates, friends, or family, they need to focus on stopping Scion. Crowds had body language and attitude as much as individuals did. Though they were mingled with the capes in the area, the people who'd arrived to see the people leaving the birdcage were easy to pick out. They shifted position, as if Chevalier's request had a physical force to it, a wind pushing at them. Then they planted their heels, hesitation, out of love or out of hatred. But the portals opened, leading to different worlds. Bet, New York, someone announced as a portal opened. Bet, Red Fist HQ, Gimmel, New Brockton Settlement. More portals opened as locations were announced. The bystanders began filing away as their destinations were called out. I was surprised to see New Wave among them. Brandish said something to Panacea, squeezed her hand, and then turned to leave. Had they retired? Given up on fighting? Or was this simply a fight on a scale they weren't prepared or able to participate in? I'm gonna go, Rachel said. Yep, Imp said. No use for us here. I looked at them. Okay, I said. Me as well, Gru said. Cozen. No, I said. He stopped, tilting his head at a funny angle, as if he could get a better understanding of me by viewing me from a skewed perspective. You're not useless. I get it if you don't have the courage, but your power, there's potential. Even if it doesn't work, that tells us a lot. He folded his arms. If you say so. I nodded. Okay, he said. He stepped back as Rachel and Imp made their way to Gimmel. Parian and Foyle hugged, and then Parian passed through, leaving Foyle behind. Sophia turned to go as well, very casually avoiding eye contact with me. She didn't want me to raise an issue, so she was slinking away. I drew bugs from the other side of the portal together, then whispered a message to her. I'll talk to you later. She turned, but the people behind her were pushing forward. She couldn't exactly turn back to retort. The portals closed. Forty-five minutes, Chevalier announced. We've got Defiant and Tattletail at Systems, managing Dragon's AI and running the data. They are your resource, the people you go to if you need something, be it information or materials. I glanced at the Azazel. Tattletail was sitting on the ramp, while Defiant stood at the end, near Chevalier. Tattletail would process the data, picking up the essential details, while Defiant would handle the lion's share of the code. They should be able to accommodate all requests, so don't be shy. Keep them updated on everything. The plan, the weapons, the possible applications of your power. 
They'll categorize and prioritize your plans, and will relay that information to the people with the ability to put that into a plan. To Cauldron, I thought. Forty-five minutes isn't a very long time, Labrat commented. His voice was a rasp. No, but Defiant has been mapping Scion's route with his analysis engines, and Scion is somewhat predictable. He's spent the last few hours veering between extremes, choosing different kinds of targets. He strikes a major population center, then scales down to strike a select target. Individuals, a subcategory of the population, like adults or capes or properties. Right now, he's in one of those lulls. We expect that, in 45 minutes, he'll move on to a bigger target again. With luck, this attack will serve to distract him and buy us time to finish evacuating. He's tough, Defiant said. You know that. He took on Behemoth with minimal effort. This is an attempt to see if we can find his limit, any weak spots, weapons that work. If we can, we expand, extrapolate. Keep that in mind and prepare accordingly. All right, let's move, Chevalier announced. First up, a door to the New York sub-office. The portal began to open. Chevalier continued. If you don't have access to costumes or weapons, we'll outfit you there. Defiant and Tattletail will direct you to other locations for other goods. I watched as a bulk of the forces began to head through the gate to the New York location. Chevalier and Revel stood by the portal, watching the various capes as they made their way through. I, too, hung back, watching. I could get a fresh costume and a spare flight pack easily enough. I wanted to know what the others were doing, the people who were hanging back. Slouching, hands clasped behind her back, String Theory made her way over to Chevalier and Defiant. The petite, odd-looking woman glanced around, not speaking up, but waiting until Chevalier dined to look at her. Labrat, behind her, looked more impatient. He wasn't good at hiding his feelings. I'll need a lab, String Theory said. Tools. My tools. If you can get them. You can prep something in time? Chevalier asked. He sounded surprised. We expected the tinkers to take part in the next attempt. I'm not an ordinary tinker, String Theory said. She tapped her head. I had four years to think, plan what I'd build if I got out. All up here. Me too. Seven years of thinking, Labrat said. Need a lab. Not sharing one with her. I wouldn't let you, darling, String Theory said, condescending. I could see Labrat's lip curl but I wasn't sure if it was an irritation or amusement. You'll both have what you need, Chevalier cut in, before anything could start between the pair. Tell me what you need and when, String Theory said. You want me to hit him? Tell me how hard. Chevalier glanced at Revel and Defiance. When you were arrested, Defiance said, the... The F-driver, String Theory interrupted. Yes, start from there. Scale up. Oh, String Theory said. Interesting. With a minimum of collateral damage, Defiant added. Less interesting. Next question, when? My work is one shot and my best work is on a timer. We attack in 39 minutes. Time things for 47 minutes from now. Most of the combatants will be cleared from the field by then, and the rest can move to safety before you put your work to use. String Theory nodded slowly. You'll hold out for eight minutes after the initial offense? Defiant paused. Make it 43 minutes from now. Done. I'll need a fusion reactor, 
or a suitably large source of plasma, something I can draw power from. We don't have, Defiant started. Then he reconsidered. We may be able to find something from Tinker Materials the PRT has confiscated. Go inside the ship, talk to Tattletail. Without another word, String Theory turned to advance up the ramp, disappearing inside. Defiant looked at Lab Rat. Your old workshop is still there, sealed off. No, I'd be spending more time cleaning up than working, and the samples would be dead if you haven't tampered with them. Something else. A room in a hospital would work. I can stay out of the way. We're not giving you access to humans, Defiant answered, his voice hard. Lab Rat frowned. Animal shelter? With the animals still present? Fine, Defiant said. Thirty-seven minutes. If you're going to contribute, you should get started. Door, please. To an abandoned animal shelter on Bet. The door opened. Hmm. Lab Rat grunted. I'll figure something out. Then, he was gone. And me? Bonesaw asked. I can help. You will help, Defiant said. After. When you work, it's going to be with supervision. Panacea can check your work, and vice versa. Bonesaw sighed. My lab. The alternate dimension. The cloning vats. Destroyed, Defiant said. You're serious? He didn't respond. Bonesaw scowled. I shivered and looked out at those who remained. Panacea hadn't gone with the other members of New Wave. Instead, she sat on the cliffside with Marquis. I felt a stab of something ugly seeing that. I couldn't justify or explain it, let alone give it a name. It felt fundamentally unfair, and I couldn't rationalize it. Life wasn't fair. Good guys sometimes got the breaks, and sometimes they didn't. Bad guys sometimes got the breaks, and sometimes they didn't. Panacea had taken more bad hits than most, and yet I wasn't able to convince myself she deserved to have that. Not because she didn't deserve the chance to sit and stare at the view on this cold mountainside with her father beside her, but because an irrational part of me wanted to have it instead. Someone to sit beside, to talk with, to discuss things, to be able to talk about stuff without avoiding everything cape-related. Someone to lean on, who'd been through some of this stuff. I turned away. Acid Bath had stayed, rather than leave to go get a costume, and was splayed out on the rock on the cliff face, his shirt off and laid out beneath him, soaking up the rays insofar as there was any sun to be had. Just a short distance away, Glashti Guanya was using her power. A shadowy figure, translucent, was kneeling before her, hands raised in a supplicating gesture. The figure had created a flame in the two joined palms of its hands, and Glashti Guanya was using the flame to warm her hands. I hesitated a moment, and then approached her. Queen Administrator. Fairy Queen, I responded. Mind if I share your fire? Not at all. I glanced down at the spirit. It wasn't smoky or blurry, and was fairly substantial, all things considered. But the features of the costume that the figure had once worn had been smoothed over, to the point that the line between costume and flesh was impossible to discern. An overly pointed nose, sweeping up into flames at the sides and top of the head, eyes without irises or pupils, pointed fingertips with more flames at the edges of the wrists, the gender indeterminate. 
odd that I had picked up on something so integral as costume, but not identity. How had Gollum put it? Someone who'd had a life, a mother, a father, family? He'd had dreams, had undergone a trigger event, or paid a small fortune for powers in a jar? He'd had a story, relegated to being a servile hand warmer. Was there any of the original personality in there? The memories of the person that was? If there were, then it implied something ugly. Glashtigawanya collected passengers, tapped them for power, and if this thing had memories, then what did that suggest about the passengers? I didn't want to be cold and uncaring anymore. I didn't want to be calculating and efficient. It made sense to ignore this individual, the spirit, to maintain peace with the fairy queen. But I didn't like what it forced me to do. So, instead, I turned to the spirit. Hello. It opened its mouth to speak, but the words were faint, incoherent, as though it were emulating language rather than actually uttering it. Did you have a name? Phoenix Feather, Glashtigawanya said. Bit of a mouthful. I warmed my hands at the fire. Thank you, Phoenix Feather. He only lowered his head, shutting those featureless eyes that could have been lenses. I felt a bit of a chill at that. What if I fell in battle? Would she claim me? Would I become like that? What form would that body take? Skitter? Weaver? Or a blending of the two? You're not armed for battle, the fairy queen observed, as if reading my mind. No. Soon. Yes, I wait as well. The head that wears the crown bears a heavy burden. You view us both as queens, fairy queen? I do, but let us drop the titles when we talk. Okay. Glashtigwanya. Anyone else? There are others who would stand shoulder to shoulder with us, but queen is the wrong word, administrator. The champion, the high priest, the observer, the shaper, the demense keeper. Why do you ask? Just trying to make sense of it, trying to figure out where you stand. Ah, do explain. You want to see the fairy rise again, apparently, and Scion's a big part of that whole equation. Yes, I see what you're getting at, Administrator. A conflict of interest? Essentially. We all have our parts to play. Parts? Yes, like actors taking a role in a play. We wear our human faces and harbor our dramas and fantasies, but it's the same individuals playing the parts, as the play starts anew on a different stage, with different faces and forms. If it all goes well, a figure from the crowd joins the stage for the play that follows, and the roles are refined. And us, queens and kings, do we have a bigger part? Leading roles? Everyone's the lead in their own story, Administrator. Some roles are bigger, some smaller, but none are more important, understand? Yes, I answered her. What's your role in this, then? We're back to the topic of my conflict of interest. I have a special role in this. I keep the company of the fairy who have left our metaphorical stage. The dead, I said. You keep the company of the dead. Yes. The other nobles, their tasks are more immediate, shorter term. 
What makes us truly noble is our role before and after this act. The others sleep, and we toil. We're practiced, stronger for that constant effort. The champion and observer ensure the next act goes without a hitch. The shaper and demence keeper clean up after we are all done here, one way or another. So it goes. And the priest? The high priest. Glashdigawanya admonished me. You and I may be doing without the titles, but we mustn't offend the others. Right, I said. As for his role, well, you should know. I should know? Yes. I could only think of one powerful individual who was on par with the others she'd named. Contessa and Glashdigawanya were easily twelves or higher on the power rating scale, and I could look to others with powers in that neighborhood to figure out who she was referring to. Panacea. Labyrinth. Which raised two questions. Why the hell was I on that list, for one thing? And was Idolin the high priest? He was the only one I could think of to fit the role. I'm not sure I follow, I said. He doesn't follow either, Glashdigawanya replied. Which complicates things. We have two courts, but the other court arrived to the stage bedraggled, maddened, and I don't have any instructions or forewarning. You understand? I believe so, I said. Trying to, anyways. The high priest is in a similar straits to these unfortunates. He stands straight and bluffs through his lines, but he's wearing the wrong costume, and he's arrived at the wrong time, just like the others. And what does he think of this? Glashdigawanya shrugged. I couldn't tell you. But what would you think of it, in his shoes? He's set this in motion, and there's no finale. There's no promise of another play after this one's done. The nobles of our court's mighty fairy may have no roles to play. But you're not concerned? She smiled a little, but didn't respond. If it comes down to it, if we somehow get one over on Scion and it looks like we might win, are you going to back him up? Because you want to see the next play? She used long fingernails to tuck her hair behind her ear, turning pale eyes toward the horizon. The sky was still red, but it was more to do with the dust-heavy atmosphere than the sunrise. I do wish to see it. I'd like to see the spirits of the dead dance to the landscape, even more than they are right now. Yet, I'm still carrying out my role, and that's the evidence I'll give to my loyalty in the here and now. I wasn't quite putting two and two together, and I suspected that might have been because she didn't want me to. She was still carrying out her role, which was to collect and comfort the dead, because she hoped this all to go according to Scion's plan? I looked down at the fire that her shadowy specter was creating, then to the specter, to Phoenix Feather. I'd watch Glashigawanya for trouble. I thought of the other major players who I was already keeping mental tabs on. What is Scion to you? He's the director of this... play? The audience as well. The metaphor falls apart at this. He's our father, our child, our creator, and now our destroyer. I could grasp that much. Was there another I could ask about that I wasn't so sure about? Dr. Mother, I said, without even really thinking about it. Can I ask what role she plays on the stage? Ah, now you're asking me to answer questions that could make enemies. 
Glashtigawanya glanced up at me, and there was an implicit threat in the glance. I wouldn't ask you to answer any questions if it was inconvenient, Glashtigawanya. I'm sorry. Be polite, keeping her good books. I should hope you wouldn't, she said, and there was an admonishment in her tone. Then, her tone lighter, she replied, No matter. She's not one of ours. A prop, nothing more. No powers, then. Like I said, a prop. She doesn't seem that unimportant, I said. She has a lot of power. A prop can be important. The Grail was a subject for innumerable quests and tales. A message can decide the outcome of a war. A living prop. She trailed off. Forgive me, Fairy Queen, I said. I saw her start to object, then hurried to continue. I'm using your title because I'm about to be rude, and I do want to show you the respect you're due. It's been a hard day. I'm not quite so distanced from this as you are, not so willing to be the actor rather than the act, if that makes any sense. Perfect sense, she responded. That means I'm not connecting the dots as well as I should. Instead of wasting your time, I'll be blunt and say that I'm not following. That's the rudeness I was mentioning. Can you elaborate? A living prop? I can't elaborate. They watch and listen for mention of doors, so they can take us from one stage to the next, and they're listening to every word we utter. If I continued, it would upset everyone in question. I see. So there's something more. Something the doctor is keeping up her sleeve. I wasn't surprised. I should prepare for the battle soon, Glashdigawanya said. Unless there's something else you'd like to discuss, Administrator? There is. I'm sorry. My role. What's my role in things? In this act or the greater plan? Either. Both. She reached up, placing a hand on the side of my face. It was warm from the fire. Her thumb brushed along my cheekbone, the long nail coming dangerously close to my eye. She could kill me right here, pull my passenger away from me and claim it. I already told you, she said. I don't like to repeat myself. Now come, bend down. I bent down. She gave me a kiss on one cheek, then the other, then stepped back. I look forward to collecting you, Administrator, or to meeting you at the end, if you outlive me. We can have long discussions. They can talk? I asked, looking down at Phoenix Feather. No, but we can discuss. You'll understand, sooner or later. I nodded slowly. I'm sorry for your loss, Administrator, she said. Things become a great deal easier once you realize how temporary it all is. My loss? She knows? She stepped away, raising one hand. Like an explosion occurring in reverse, Phoenix Feather condensed to a point in her hand as she closed it into a fist. She opened her hands, and two figures flanked her. Again, the blending of costume and flesh, the blurring of identity. Both were women, but one had perhaps been mutilated in death, or she had been a case 53. She was four-legged, her two arms different lengths. They worked together to fashion Glashdiguanya's costume, discorporating the modified prison uniform she'd fashioned into a shroud and reforming it into a proper cloak and robe, with a texture that scintillated green and black, as though it were made up of thousands of scales the size of grains of sand. I took that as my cue to leave. 
Door. Chicago Protector at Headquarters. The portal opened. I stepped through onto the roof of the headquarters. There was a strong wind, and the heavy clouds of moisture and dust were soaring across the sky. I looked down and saw an empty city. No people in the streets, no moving cars. During the morning runs, even, or the dead of night, Chicago had been full of life. I could sense some life, though. I reached out to the bugs that populated the empty city and drew them to me. I knew why they had placed me on the roof. Moving the bugs through the building, I could feel the cracks in the structure, the broken concrete, the falling boards of plaster from the ceiling of the office level. Something had shaken the building, and it was at risk of collapse. The opening on the roof for flying heroes was ajar. I sent my bugs inside, all too aware of the echo to the events that had led to the ironic case of my joining the wards. They collected fabric, collected materials, and fit themselves into the channels of my spare flight pack. Then they made their way up to me, everything on hand. The swarms circled around me, and they deposited every item, straightening things out, spacing it evenly around me, a kaleidoscopic pattern. Spare costumes, costume concepts, weapons, gear. I wondered what form my body would take if Glashtiguanya were to seize me. The core costume was the same, but the details, the features... Clawed fingertips of skitter, or the extra armor of weavers, with a spare coil of silk hidden beneath the armor panel at the back of the hand. Black, white, gray, red. I had silk bodysuits in every color from when I'd tested dyes and worn the bodysuits to see how the color held up when the suit was stretched over my body. What color lenses? What weapons? Scion was a different sort of opponent. Behemoth could be misled by swarm decoys. One could hide from him. His attacks were lethal, but most wouldn't tear through cover as though it wasn't there. There was no camouflage against Scion. No cover. A gun could conceivably draw Behemoth's attention for a crucial moment with a well-aimed shot. Not so with Scion. I'd been in a black costume as Skitter, a gray costume as Weaver. A part of me wanted to go pure, to go white and continue that progression. But I picked up the black bodysuit. This wasn't preparing myself for the fight. We wouldn't be trading blows, and I doubted my costume would be any better or worse than a suit of plate mail or going into the fight naked. No, I was preparing myself on a mental level. I gravitated toward the black because it had seen me through the toughest and most personal crises. It was home, for lack of a better word. I didn't have Brockton Bay anymore, didn't have my dad's. The black costume was the closest link I had to the last place and time I'd been at home. White armor panels to balance it out. White lenses. A handgun. Again, more for the sake of my headspace than for anything else. And because I wasn't sure I could trust everyone present to be on the same side. Two ammo clips. It reminded me of Coil. My first true kill. A taser, for the same reason. And to balance things out once again. I didn't dislike the added weight of the weapon on my belt. I donned the flight pack and fixed my hair where it had been mussed up by the straps. Then, as a final token gesture, I picked up a small canister of pepper spray. Symbolic. Door, I said, to the battlefield. The portal brought us to a small drilling platform in the midst of the ocean. No music, no chatter, only the sound of the ocean crashing around us from horizon to horizon in every direction. The water was dark, 
murky, a reflection of the sky above. Everyone was wearing spider silk. I recognized the individual components, spare costumes, and costumes I'd created and sent out to the Protectorate and Ward's teams. A meager contribution, considering our opponent's firepower. Eighty in all, and we hadn't brought anyone like Rachel or Imp, the people who couldn't contribute to a fight where the opponent could fly like Scion flew, hit like Scion hit. A dog would never get its jaws on him, and he'd penetrate Imp's defenses in an instant, either by seeing through it or by the sheer amount of collateral damage he did. Lab Rat walked among us, a backpack dangling from one hand. He handed us devices, an armband for communication, earbuds for those of us who didn't have them, and little plastic cases the size of matchboxes, complete with straps. He was already wearing the full outfit, the wristband over the sleeve of his lab coat, the little matchbox similarly positioned, but over his bicep, like a blank white bandage. He held one out to me, then hesitated. He fished in the backpack, then handed me another. "'What's the box?' I asked. "'My work,' Labrat said. "'That doesn't answer my question.' "'You don't want the answer to your question. Wear it or don't,' he rasped. "'I'm wearing it.' He continued on, handing out the packages. When he was out of earshot, Clockblocker commented, "'I don't think that's a good recommendation. That guy is crazy.' At one point, he made himself into some kind of photosynthetic lardass, so fat he took up two stories of a house. It's the only reason I caught him in the end. I looked pointedly at Clockblocker's arm. The little white box blended in with Clockblocker's white costume. You're wearing the thing. It's a shitty recommendation coming from Lab Rat, but as far as I'm concerned, I'd cut off my left arm if it bought me a better chance. I like knowing there's maybe a chance this would help. An explanation would suck. Give me a little hope. Maybe that's all this is, Vista said. Hope. I shut my eyes, focusing on the capes who were present, marking them with bugs. Here and there, portals opened, and capes stepped onto the platform. String theory, carrying only a laptop. Galvanate. Galvanate reached out and touched a select few capes, layering invincibility over invincibility for Alexandria, for Gavel, Gentle Giant, and a birdcage cape I didn't recognize. Could do with some of that, Gru said. Borrow his power? I suggested. Doesn't work. We did a few test runs before you showed. Some options. We'll see. Bonesaw and Panacea were both absent, I noted. Somehow ominous. Three minutes! Another portal opened. Glashdiguanya, twice as tall as she had been, moving as though she were walking but with no legs beneath the swirling tatters of green-black cloth. Three spirits flanked her, walking on the platform. Not individuals I recognized. The wind turned, and I raised my head to let it blow through my hair. I'd always liked the sensation. Why put us out in the middle of the ocean? Vista asked. It's crazy. Symbolic, a voice said from high above us. I looked up to see Legend looking down. Our planet's mostly water. We're mostly water. It's something you don't really get, being stuck down there on land rub it in, Clockblocker said. Sorry, Legend said. He was a changed man, looking ten years older than he once had. How much of that was emotional? The toll of dealing with endbringers, with being a pariah. He was respected by the common people, but anyone who knew anything about capes had picked up on Legend's lack of status in the community. 
I never liked locations like this. I commented. Rooftops. I can't get down safely. It's isolated, to minimize chance he can track us somehow, Chevalier said. And we have a good escape route. Not to mention it's the first point from Scion. When he spoke again, he raised his voice to be sure that everyone on the platform was able to hear. It's time. This is our staging ground. We're not going to get close. We can't because of the danger it poses, and because the cauldron capes can't create portals within a certain range of Scion. Can't or won't? Someone asked. It doesn't matter, Chevalier responded. This is a test run. Trying one trick? It won't work. We'll get obliterated. So we hit him with things in a series, from multiple directions, and see what sticks. I'll be with you every step of the way, Tattletail's voice sounded over the earbud. Defiance here, too. Defiant spoke over the comms. Take our cues. Don't hesitate. Chevalier said something, but I didn't hear it because Tattletail said something else. By the reaction of the others, it was something for me and me alone. And because we're fairly limited in what we can do, I asked to have you in the field as my liaison. Right, I muttered. I put on Labrat's matchbox and then the armband. A display flashed, then a request for ID. Taylor, I said. The name appeared. I confirmed. The display showed what appeared to be a distorted clock, with a square in the center. The clock had 14 numbers and only one hand. 14 points of attack. We're alternating strong and weak, clockwise around the dial. One number for each attack. One sec. Switching string around to keep us on schedule. Chevalier likes his speeches an awful lot for someone who doesn't like speeches. Doors. Chevalier finished. As if corresponding to the fourteen clock faces, the portals opened up in a circle around the platform. Ingenue, he called out. Chevalier and Ingenue passed through the door just to the right of the northernmost portal. He'd taken the lead, the first attack. He knew there was too much risk of someone backing off if he put someone else in that crucial first spot. Four miles north of Scion, hitting him unawares. The portal door was left open, and my bugs gave me a sense of what he was doing. Ingenue's power was to muck with other people's powers. More power at a loss of control, more control at a loss of range, her choice. If I had to guess, it mucked with people's heads. Maybe something to do with their passengers. Her partners tended to go loopy at some point. Homicidal loopy. Chevalier's cannon blade grew to three times the size in heartbeats. Not the gradual growth of before. It was a wild, reckless growth, unfettered by restrictions he'd been held by before. Ten, twenty times the size. I'd seen it be as long as Leviathan was tall, and this dwarfed that by a factor of two. The weapon was too heavy for him to lift. He let it fall, the serrated blade biting into the earth on the other side of the portal. He fired, and the combination of the detonation and the recoil wiped out my bugs. Second group. I called out, an instant before Defiant barked out. Two, over the comms. Clockblocker, a Chuckles clone, Gentle Giant, and a group of others. A spread of powers with mobility and one of the few people who could maybe stand up to Scion's blasts, enhanced by Galvanate's attack. They'd be getting dangerously close, using Chuckles' mobility. I waited. Waited. Twenty seconds passed. The world on the other side of the portals rumbled. Even with the portals miles apart, the rumble was felt in roughly equal measure across each of them. 
Third group, Tattletales said. Big guns. Watch for collateral damage. The others may still be there. Pretender, Idolan, and Legend took off, and they were soon followed by Glashtiguanya. He's running, Idolan reported. Tattletale, I said. Do me a favor. Anything for you, sweetie. Was she being even more off-handed than usual? Nervous? Pass on a message to Legend and Idolan. Pretender, too. Might as well. They should watch their backs around the Fairy Queen. I talked to her, and she never quite denied she'd help Scion if it came down to it. On it. I concentrated my focus on the world beyond the portals. I could feel the bugs on the landscape, the high hills with sharp cliffs, the tall grass that could drown a man, eerily bright beneath a dark sky, with the way the light filtered down. I closed my eyes and focused on the senses of my bugs. I couldn't see detail, but I could make out bright and dark colors. Scion was bright, and so were his lasers. An enemy that hit too hard to defend against, too tough to hurt. Idolan teleported rather than try to stand up to the lasers. Alexandria took a glancing blow and plunged to the ground. Legend peppered Scion, paused, then hit him with a bigger laser. When that failed, Legend doubled down again. Fourth group. The others had already gathered at their respective portals. This group was Gru, with a select few others. Shuffle was among them. Gru looked over his shoulder at me, then saluted. I felt a lump in my throat. I wanted to be Taylor here, but there was a limit to how far I could go with that. I saluted him back. As much as I could see the distorted contrasting shapes, I could make out the block of Gru's darkness that Shuffle had teleported into the air above Scion. It sank down, subsuming the golden man. Gru fired off a laser, spearing into the midst of the cloud of darkness. No, not Scion's laser. Legend's. If he could use Scion's lasers, I imagined he would have. Legend's lasers weren't doing anything substantial, if they were doing anything at all. Scion didn't falter, and he didn't act like he was blind. Alexandria had gotten back up and was fighting at close range. Scion lashed out with another laser, and some portals winked out before the laser could intersect them and pour golden death onto the platform. Gru, return, I said. Different tact. Chevalier was just returning, carrying a burned ingenue. He'd left his cannon blade behind. Destroyed? Fifth group in, Tattletail said. Everyone else clear out. Fifth group. One individual. String theory. Open one of those portals, she said. My lab, right in front of the G-driver. Point the other end at the target. Clear out, Tattletail repeated herself. Capes at the periphery of the fighting were returning. The chuckles returned, carrying two wounded capes, not even a third of the size of Clockblocker's original group. Vista hurried to Clockblocker's side. He wasn't even aiming in our general direction, and he took out most of us, Clockblocker murmured. Fuck. Gru's group returned. Shuffle glanced at me and shook his head. One more power eliminated as a possibility, I thought. I had to do something here. Clock, you leave anyone behind? No. Gru? Gru shook his head. Nobody left on the other side, I reported. String? Idiot! String Theory snarled. That's not the opening. Put a portal on the other side of the machine. There was a pause. Better. 22 seconds. Use it to give me coordinates. 
patching you into the number man, Tattletail said. There was a pause. The portals all closed, like shutters sliding down, with an ever-narrowing rectangle of light at the base. We'd left Scion on the other side with nobody to tie him up. Dangerous. We couldn't predict what he'd do. We hadn't, as far as I knew, done any harm to him. Nothing suggested he had been affected in the least by their powers. Clockblocker's time freeze, Gru's darkness, useless. Give me a view, String Theory said. Too dangerous, Chevalier grunted. He sat down on the floor of the platform. A view now, or I'll make it miss. A window opened at the platform's edge. A view of the scene, a landscape torn to shreds by Scion's attacks. Grassy fields with steep hills, a fence in the distance, trees on the highest peak. The grass continued to glow, but some of that was from fires the fighting had started. Scion's golden light was distant. He turned, then began advancing toward the portal. It was more like a zap from a bug zapper than a shot from a gun. There was a distortion, like one saw with a shimmer of heat in the air, and Scion was punched out of the sky, leaving behind a golden streak of light. The path suggested he disappeared straight out of the atmosphere. Sources corroborating the visual, Tattletail said. Direct hit. It worked. String Theory pumped her fists in the air. What was that? Vista asked. G-Driver, String Theory said. She lowered her fists, then fixed her lab coat and glasses. She turned around and gave us a smug, superior smile. Which is... Someone else asked. Upgrade of the F-driver? The firmament driver, Defiant explained over the earbuds. At the time of her arrest, String Theory was threatening to use her firmament driver to knock our moon out of orbit. And we didn't hear about this because... Morale? Defiant replied, as if that was explanation enough. Would have done a lot for my morale to know we could do that, Glockblocker said. In case anyone was wondering, it's G-Driver for God-Driver, String Theory said. Obviously. Obviously, Clockblocker muttered. He's coming back, Tattletail reported. No surprise, but we could hit him. Sixth group, ready, Defiant ordered. The sixth group, Sonda plus birdcage capes I didn't know, including the one that Galvanet had charged up. Heavy hits we didn't get that far. He's gone. A voice I didn't recognize sounded over the earbud. All had gone quiet. Still. Checking cameras. Monitoring. Radio reports. Bastards hard to keep track of. I felt my bugs stir. Not the wind. I looked up. Scion. Here. Directly above us to the point that he was barely a speck. I'd sensed disgust from him once, when he was looking at Idolin. Nothing measurable, not an expression I could quantify, like a movement of the eyes, brow, or lips, but I'd sensed it. Now, I sensed bloodlust. Not anger, nothing so germane. Only that sensation I'd had when I was in lungs clutches and he was squeezing me to death. The sensation I'd had when Bonesaw was straddling me, carving into my head. A feeling I'd experienced when I was face to face with Cherish. A feeling that, underneath it all, there was some base, primal urge to carve people apart. But he was waiting, watching, toying with us. Tattletail, I whispered. 
He's here. No, can't be. We need an escape now. There was only silence. I felt a kind of grim despair in the pit of my stomach. Tattletale? They're saying no. Cauldron's saying no. String theory hurt him, or at least struck him. We need others in case they can do the same. You can't tell me they're going to let us gather some of the strongest capes around and then leave us to die when things take a turn for the worse? You don't understand. We put you on the opposite side of the planet, on a different Earth. He wasn't supposed to be able to access you. He did. She didn't respond. One of the birdcage capes somehow picked up the same vibe I did. Maybe they sensed the latent hostility in the air and followed it to its source. They let out a muffled gasp. Others noticed. The golden glow above intensified, ominous, like a second sun on the wrong side of an overcast sky. If I was Skitter, I might have tried to sacrifice myself. If I was Weaver, I might have made peace with the fact that I needed to die so Cauldron could preserve their portals, maintain the fight, for the greater good. I wasn't either. Not at my core. Cauldron, I muttered. You're listening with that creepy, omniscient cape of yours. You're watching. If you're wondering what you should do, sitting on the fence between letting Scion see your portals up close and track you down or letting us die, let me cast a fucking vote. You save us. Nothing. He knows already. He has to if he found us this easily. Come on. Oh God, someone said. Oh God, oh God. With my bugs spread out over the area, I couldn't feel a single telltale breeze of a portal opening around us. I closed my eyes. I'm sorry, Taylor, Tattletail said. I wish... Her voice shorted out as the energy of Scion's attack cut out the communications. 